Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Should RTE sell off land at Montrose? Questions mount as station executives and board members prepare to go back in front of the media committee. Is it really necessary for that organisation to be taking up probably one of the most valuable real estates uh, in Europe? Plus, congestion chaos research shows that Dublin drivers spend more time in traffic than any other country in the world. We ask if congestion charges should be introduced and we have the latest on the US House of Representatives decision to open an impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden. Through our investigations we have found that President Biden did lie to the American people about his own knowledge of his family's foreign business dealings. Tomorrow, the public spotlight will be back on RTE as executives and board members appear again in front of the Oireachtas Media Committee on the likely agenda will be everything from car allowances to unnamed high earners, as revealed by a recent document dump. Well, here to discuss this is Minister of State Neil Richmond, Ireland editor of the Irish Independent Kevin Doyle and journalist and columnist Alison O'Connor. You're all very welcome along to the programme tonight. Um, there's a lot, as I say, for the media committee to digest tomorrow, Kevin. What are the, the main findings within these documents that were asked for by the committee um, that they will be looking to hone in on tomorrow, do you think? Well, we're kind of getting into the nitty gritty now. And this is probably the point where there was an orty dominated silly season. And now we're kind of getting into the more serious stuff as the Oireachtas returns from its summer break. So some of the headline stuff that came out in these documents is the car allowance. That obviously mm. was one that pick, people picked up on. A lot of people getting car allowances, which seem to be effectively top ups on their pay is what it certainly looks like on a surface level. And I'm sure that'll be teased out tomorrow. Um, the pay thing, RTE very much mm. saying that it had been demanded by TDs and senators that they would reveal the top 100 earners. Um, so get beyond the kind of Joe Duffy's and Claire Burns this world and bring it down to more executive people, managers, um, and see what they're earning. Or he's saying absolutely they're not going to publish that. So I suspect that'll be a bone of contention. And the one for me from all the stuff actually, Claire, that came out was there's been so much talk about high earners. We actually learned from these documents that some people in RT are earning as little as 24,000 euro, the equivalent of a car allowance for other people in RTE. And I actually think that might be something that, that some politicians will pick up on because for all the talk about high earning, how anybody lives in Dublin on 24,000 euro and rents uh, and they must have no social life, go to the cinema, anything like that. So I think that might be something that we didn't know before that there was people earning as little as that. And I think that might be as big a point as those earning huge money. Yeah, I suppose it's also, yeah, it's in the context of, of funding crisis within the station and the, the what's earned by those at the very top of the scale there. Just to go to the, the value uh, last year of car allowances, 656,000 
651 euro. It's one of the most expensive allowances paid out by the broadcaster. Are you concerned um, about, about, I suppose, that figure that, that to, to, to a number of people there and that they, you know, that, that allegation that they're used, in fact, as salary top-ups, another way of giving more money uh, to people in the way of expenses? Yeah, extremely concerned. Um, it's an extremely large amount of money. There's obviously knock-on effect where how does this impact on benefit and kind? And what is the justification? If it's a car allowance for a reporter who's driving all around the country, that's one thing. But is it a top-up to a senior executive? That's something totally different. And there is very serious ramifications when it comes to matters of revenue. So I really hope my colleagues in the committee tomorrow tease that out very clearly. It's largely a fresh bunch of people who are going forward. The Director General, the new Director General, hasn't been before a committee before. There's other executives who weren't able to appear before. So if anything, this data dump or document dump that came out uh, last night, it just poses a heck of a lot more questions. Uh, and is it reasonable, do you think, just if you're talking specifically on the car allowances issue, that they would issue allowances to staff members without them necessarily needing driving licences in order to get up to €25,000 in an annual allowance? Yeah, that's something that needs very clear explanation. Is this an allowance for taxi hire or something like that? But if it's an allowance for a car to someone who doesn't have a driving licence, that doesn't add up. That's a question that has to be answered. That is clearly, to my mind, something that suggests that this was a top-up. And it's something that isn't acceptable. And sadly, the whole issue of the past number of months with RTE is restoring trust. It's developing transparency, it's restoring trust. So we need to see these questions answered. And where practices are simply wrong, they need to be completely scrapped. Now, we do see perks and bonuses elsewhere in other jobs and other roles and other companies right around the country. What's different here? Well, firstly, it's public money. This is our money. And if it's not being reported correctly and if it's not being um, displayed correctly in a public context, then there's very serious questions that need to be answered and there's ramifications. If a private company decides to give a car allowance to a director, they pay benefit in kind. They have to demonstrate that in their returns. It should be no different for a large organisation who is in the form of RTE, but also an organisation that is spending all of our money. Um, your view on this, Alison, certainly that seems to be the top line uh, that, that the people have grabbed, just the sheer uh, amount of money that was spent on these car allowances uh, given to people without even checking, do they have a driving licence? Do they, do they need it, in fact? Yeah, I mean, it, it look... As Neil just said, it, it certainly is something that um, that that uh, I've no doubt um, they, somebody will be put to the pin of their collar on it at the at the at the committee tomorrow. Um, it also explains, I think, why um, you would we saw so much anger amongst the rank and file employees in RT at the start of the summer, and you can see this. It it, it further emphasises the sense of a them and us situation, you know. Um, and my worry, I suppose, is that. RTE has to be kept under the cash in terms of transparency and in terms of, um, you know, things that are there to come out that they come out. But yet there's the fine line between that and while some incredibly good and useful information, uh, very bad in some ways, came out of the Iraq this committee. There was an element of showboating as well by the part of, mm -hmm. of some TDs and senators. Um, so you'd hope that that, that that wouldn't happen. My other concern would be that there are now so many investigations going on into RTE. How do you go about, um, how does Kevin Backhurst go about his his day-to-day -day duty? And looking at Patrick O'Donovan there, uh, the junior minister, it's difficult to argue against what he's proposing, mm. um, you know, in terms of it's absolutely prime land um, and that I think even moving to a new site, again, though, traumatic for the workforce who've been through a lot of trauma, 
might be a new beginning that, that, the, that the station needs. And the other thing that came out today that interested me is the bogus um, self-employment, these contracts um, where RTE um, will end up being liable to pay PRSI for, for people. They've tried to underplay it. They're not releasing the information saying it's commercially sensitive. But I think that but the, they have said to, yeah, to, to, to a large social, extent, yeah. they have accepted the decision of the Department yeah. of Social Protection. Well, and the, there's a, there's a number be, of investigations could to, underway. It could be up to 700. I mean, what, what that cost is going to be is is going to be possibly very detrimental to RT and obviously then to the to the to the mm. state to the government in terms of how RT is going to pay that. Neil, just um, and we heard that clip from Patrick O'Donovan um, there when when you know we're talking about a big funding crisis and yet RT sitting on prime uh, prime land um, in the heart of the city. What about that idea that they may sell some land and move out maybe to? You know, the lovely, well, Ballymount's taken actually, but you know, I'm sure there are other places that they could find. But do you think, I mean, on a serious note, that this is something that should be considered? Yeah, absolutely. RT have already sold off land. This is something I spend a lot of time in the UK. This is something that British television stations have been doing for the last decade. Channel 4 moving up to Manchester, BBC launching a, a brand new large studio in Glasgow, moving out their facilities, maintaining a very small studio in central London, maybe in Westminster, but everything else going out to West and South London. We look at the TV and film opportunities in Wicklow, in Limerick. There's loads of opportunities to perhaps look at that site. It's a way to get a cash injection. And indeed, Alison, to get a bit of reform into the organisation, a real mental step change. So, I mean, when they, because we know, of course, that, that RTE are looking for interim funding that's under consideration by government that, you know, there's this 34.5 million euro they're looking for and then there's the 21 million that they're going to lose um, that lost revenue from um, the licence fee. So with all that in mind, um, are, are, you, are you kind of looking then at options and interim steps that, that may say, right, we will give you the X mm. if you look at, if you look at, um, selling off land in exchange for that? Well, it's been made quite clear from the government that if a, a fund is needed by RT from the government, it will come with conditions. Now, nothing editorial or anything like that, but in terms of operational, in terms of reform, we need to see that vision for reform, that agenda. And I think everything absolutely has to be on the table, Claire. Okay. What sort of T's and C's um, do you think the government might be considering there, Kevin, about, you know, because there are these interim steps that Micheál Martin was alluding to today that they look at when when they are dealing with the RTE situation. What are the options open to government? Well, I think the government probably have to be careful in what they demand as the T's and C's. So it'll be up to Kevin Backhurst uh, to some extent to come forward with his cost-cutting plan. And he's going to have to do that very quickly, by which I mean he'll have to give a good sense of it before the budget um, in the 10th of October. So the clock is ticking on that. In terms of the things they could do, I mean, selling the Montrose site would be very, very radical, but it also wouldn't be a quick fix. That's a long project that you would have to sell, you would have to acquire land, you would have to build a whole new TV studio and set up. Um, and to be honest, would you make the savings on the end of that? I'm not entirely convinced by the time you would invest in a new site. So that is a really long term probably more likely they would sell off another chunk of the land that's there. There's other things around pay, perhaps, around executives. We know from the annual report last week, for example, that a lot of executives got a 10% pay rise last year, despite RT making a loss, which came as a shock to a lot of staff. You wonder, that what didn't seem sensible. They're now losing buckets of money. Could the government say, perhaps, that a goodwill gesture might be for some of those to drop that 10% so, again? So there's things like that that Interesting could that these documents were probably play a part in that decision making in effect here, Alison, like, you know, how much do high salaries, car allowances, toy show, ad spend, I think to the tune of 1.3 million euro, 
you know, influence government, I guess, when they're making these decisions about funding broadcasters. But I mean, of course they have to have an influence. And what talking to people in government over the last 10 years, if you raise the issue of funding for RT, invariably the answer was, we never get anything. They come in here, they've, you know, one hand longer than the other looking for money, but there's never anything concrete to show in terms of reform um, or, or cost cutting. Uh, now, I would also say in RTE's defence, you then had a government who would not face up to the licence fee mm. issue. And that whole thing is an absolute mess now and really not helped by the Minister, Catherine Martin, uh, in her response, you know, sort of being a bit wishy-washy about whether you should be paying it earlier in the summer. The politicians know that RTE is box office. A lot of them will be there tonight girding their loins, member of the committee, <laughs> members of the committee, ahead of tomorrow. But there is a fine line between reforming the broadcaster and keeping all the things that are very good about it and there are many and pummeling it into the ground and if you consider there's been an awful lot of talk now since the start of the political term about the possibility of an election within the next year um, and how would that look with a very weakened RTE getting pressure from all sides from every party are you saying the committee should lay off a bit no I'm not I'm saying well I think in some I mean of, when some I say the, the stuff, committee I mean the media yeah, committee no, the I public mean, accounts every, like, committee I mean, politicians look, no, and everyone it was, else it was everybody I mean I, when I was down at West Gorch in the summer in the rain and, and it wasn't I mean I would expect to be watching it as an anorak people I know who would have not a lot of interest in current affairs were watching the committees. I've heard of people watching it by swimming pools in Spain, as far away as New Zealand, um, watching reruns because of the time zone. So there's a lot of interest. It's as much attention, if you like, that a lot of politicians have ever got and are ever likely to get. So it, my point is that take that. I can understand why it's fairly heady. There's, there's, it's necessary. There's a lot that has to come out. Mm. But you have to look at it all in the round as well in terms of is, is what's left in RTE then. You don't just want a shell to be left. I will say, I think Kevin Backhurst has done well yeah. since he started. He's a very steadying presence. So, I mean, that's that's an encouraging thing. Um, just talking about the licence fee, like, yeah, people may have been watching all of that mm. with um, with interest. It may have been watched on uh, Iraq This TV or, you know, via uh, Virgin Media as well on, on some of those, those bigger days when everyone was tuned in to see um, what the response would be from RTE and some of the top paid talent, if you like. But coming down to, you know, people were angry enough to actually decide not to pay the TV licence. And we've seen that the huge drop in revenue um, gets to be at, you know, 21 million by year end. And we have reported now that there's an idea un under consideration. There's really nothing new in this idea, but a, a universal media levy is now being considered. Is that, is that what's been looked at realistically now and that that money could be collected through revenue? It's one of a few options. Ultimately, the review into this was paused until all the final reports, and I think we're waiting to, for two at least more reports from RT. Um, I'd just like to unequivocally say everyone should pay their TV licence. It is vital uh, for public sector service broadcasting and for the supporting of so much else. And I just put that very clearly, but it does need reform. I accept that. And we as politicians have been laggards in driving that reform. And we must accept our part in that as well. We're not going to pile on RT or certain individuals without taking our own responsibility. But I certainly expect over the next few weeks and months that those options will start to come to fruition. We'll get a proposal to Cabinet from Catherine Martin. And then it's our job to push it through like and it sell is, this notion. Yeah, it is interesting. That, and, and, you know, you've admitted there that the government have been laggards in this regard that we've had various reports we've been the big future of media commission report that has all said always said like you need to look now at the funding model and nothing has been done about it until this crisis blows up 
I know, and this is why this crisis, whilst it presents a massive challenge, it's the opportunity and responsibility for government and indeed and the entire... why has been ignored? Well, there's very di loads of different reasons. It's a difficult decision to take. It's hard to get uh, full Isn't acceptance. That the job of politicians? Absolutely, I mean, and we make that elected. difficult now. There's, uh, it there's is, harder like, ones that you, had to be made over the years. You come up with the exact model, Kevin. To be fair, the pressing model that needs to be started, and then set it through a three-party coalition or a confidence supply coalition before that, or in the situation now where you want to get as much buy-in, not just from the political stakeholders, but also the public and also the media professionals. But I do fundamentally believe that we have to take that responsibility where we haven't delivered and deliver it urgently over the next few months. Oh. And that's definitely a commitment we're making. All right, but you're still waiting on a couple of reports to come through and yeah. how long is that all going to take before you decide on having a universal media levy or something else or other mechanisms? What are you weeks, looking at? We're, we're expecting those reports in the next few weeks. The so process... should we be expecting then a decision around the licence fee around probably, that time as probably well? No, probably sometime after that because work had been underway, it had been paused, it has to be completed. I think we wait till the, the last couple of reports come in the next couple of weeks, the work resumes and certainly soon after that I expect and hope to see a recommendation brought to Cabinet. Uh, I mean... Kevin, like, what is the government likely to do here? Because the pressure is really on when you have RTE in this funding crisis, but also all these questions around checks, balances, uh, expenses um, and transparency also at the broadcaster. What's the government to do here? Because the, the licence fee is a very contentious issue. Yeah, well, firstly, I would argue that negotiating a budget every year between a three-party coalition government is a much harder thing than coming up with how the TV licence should or shouldn't work. It, there has been just an unwillingness in, in successive governments, not just this government, to go there because there's nothing to gain from it. All you do is draw attention to what is effectively a tax on households in the country. And that's why governments have and ministers down through the years have kind of said, it is what it is. Pe some people, most people are paying it. Leave it alone. I'm not going to be the minister that caused something like this where there's a backlash over the RT. So what will they do with it? Uh, to answer your question, Claire, I think ultimately it will have to move away from the current model of TV licence inspectors going around knocking on doors and peeping in windows, which is a very 1980s concept of how you collect the TV licence. It will probably have to move to revenue because that is the only... We've seen that in other areas. It didn't work with water charges. We've seen it did work well, with this is property it's tax. It's another tax, isn't it's, it? It's effectively and, a household and being, tax and then being revenue collected can do it. by revenue. How, how does that, how does I've that heard actually it. work? I, I mean, I have, have been told that revenue was asked this about a year ago and said, no, we can't do it. But the difference but I mean, now yeah. is... One of the proposals mm. on the table mm. is that it becomes more of a household charge. So yes, right as now Michael you have Martin, to have a television. Yeah. As Michael, um, Michael Martin, I think, said that again today, didn't he? Um, it, it, if you go back, it goes back as well to the water charges and uh, that the, the licence fee got thrown in with that and politicians in absolute yeah. fear, abject fear of... Uh, of, That's uh, the of question, and I mean, it's politically, yeah. it is going to be, if you're coming into a winter where you still have cost of living, we don't know what's going to happen with the war in Ukraine and all of that, it is going to be a different How, how do you sell it, Neil? Call. You're saying a decision will be made. You're waiting for reports mm. to come through. You know, when are you going to make that call? Are you going to make that call in the, the dark depths of January? You on a new household levy? You sell it with great difficulty, to be honest, Claire. It is a challenge. Um, any new tax, any new levy is a challenge. You have to justify it and you have to show that there will be a return delivered for it. That now, depending on what model is settled upon in government, will land not just with government, but also the broadcasters, because if it's a universal media one, it won't just apply to RTE. I do we think, have to look though, at complete if you reform. were to say to people, I mean, you have the issue of a public service broadcasting, the difficulty of getting young people to watch it, or so many people watch on devices or watch streaming services. But we particularly saw it during COVID, not just with RTE, with Virgin Media as well. 
huge reliance on, on, on news that you could trust. So I do think if you were to put the simple question to the public, do you want RTE to continue existing? You know, you would get a pretty resounding yes in my, I don't know whether you two would, would agree well, no, with me on that. No, but it's not just about news. I'd argue yeah. you make it about JA, you oh, make no, it about absolutely. other sports it's and everything. all those things it's that everything. they can do. But... And, and I suppose and I mean, also I think, that, I think something like Dancing with the Stars is part of public service because I think it's, you know what I mean? People say, is that well, really... Now we're, okay. now we're going to disagree, No, but you know what I mean? People uh, will say about soaps yeah. or whatever. I think, so my point being... <laughs> You have to. Although have a there mix. is entertainment across many platforms yeah. and yeah. and news and yeah. you know public well, service providers, you know that's what we argue that we we do yeah. um, in Virgin Media as well. So it might change as well, actually, where this household levy and where that money goes and how yeah. the, the 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 pie is divided as well. Bound, Neil, yeah. would would you agree? Yeah, and that's the second half of the challenge. It's one thing collecting tax, but then justifying where does it go? Does it just go to RT? Does it go to all um, public registered broadcasters? What about online streaming platforms? And will, does, it be cheap? will it be less? Will we be paying less if it's, uh, if it's across the board and collected by revenue? Well, there's a potential for it to be less if it goes to every individual in the state who consumes media as opposed to every television owner. All right, briefly, just to come to you on the energy providers and we know that the Taoiseach and Eamon Ryan met with uh, providers today. Uh, following on from Leo Radker saying, I'm going to meet with them, they need to bring down their prices, we need to bring down energy uh, prices in this country. Do you think that um, the providers are listening and will deliver? I certainly hope so. And I think we got some guarantees today, which are very welcome in relation to bringing in a moratorium this winter in relation to helping people who fall on hard times, but also crucially looking at when wholesale costs don't go up, bringing down those prices. The government will be monitoring this very carefully. It now does have the revenues of both the windfall tax and profits from both Borden Amona and ESB that they can drive in to the Exchequer to ameliorate rises as well. I'm just thinking of the retail forum briefing that, you know, a lot of people said that's sort of grandstanding there. prices have come down. But and were they going to bring the prices down anyway? Well, we saw it with hundreds of products and we saw it where the direct request was on staple goods, own brand goods. We saw each rate retailer reducing prices. Do you prices think that was in direct a, response on to at least you meeting 500 with them? Goods, and today we see the joint largest retailer in the state for the first time ever publishing their profits. So these things don't happen by sheer fluke. It's about constant engagement. It's not always about the threat. It's not all about draconian legislation. If it was with retailers, opposition wants us to bring in price caps that have not worked in Hungary and haven't worked in Croatia and nearly destroyed the Spanish economy. What we have seen is a genuine movement. And I think this is something we will see in energy too. Look, it was it was the criticism and maybe the criticism again today that you know the providers who haven't already dropped their prices will be doing so in any case. Yeah, I think we can hopefully look forward to some more drops over the coming months, but it won't take away from what the debate around the budget, which is give us an energy credit. It was hugely popular last year that the 600 euro that came off people's bills, they actually noticed it, unlike a lot of measures in the in the budgets where you get a couple of euro off tax or whatever. So while this was all very welcome, <laughs> I think if Leo Vragker or Eamon, Eamon Ryan think that it's going to take away from that pressure in the next few weeks from their backbenchers, it definitely won't. I think oh. we'll definitely see more of those those energy, but not as not not three, not as not as many as we had uh, as we had last winter. Okay, well, my panel is staying on with me. Up next, Dublin drivers spend more hours in traffic than any other city in the world. Should we give congestion charges the green light?
Welcome back now from climate concerns to research that reveals Dubliners spend more time in their cars than anyone else in the world. The argument for congestion charges has long been a hot button issue. But joining Neil, Kevin and Alison are... Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Richard Garney, CEO of Dublin Town and Ushin Coughlin from Friends of the Earth to debate the merits of the controversial charges. You both come from uh, different sides, clearly, on this one. Um, we are the third most congested city in the world. Anyone travelling into and out of Dublin knows all about uh, sitting in their car for far too long. But we've avoided all those congestion charges to date that we've seen in other cities, Oshin. Uh, why do you think they're necessary now? Well, because we haven't avoided the congestion. And we also now have a legally binding target to reduce our, our, our climate pollution from transport by 50% by 2030, agreed by all the parties in the Doyle. Uh, and we need to reduce car journeys uh, by about 25% in that time and increase cycling and walking by about 50%. Uh, and that's much easier to do in cities where you're compact and where there's alternatives than it is in rural Ireland where they're going to need their cars more often and for, and for longer. So we need to do things in Dublin that really help people move to uh, other forms of transport. We need to free up space for cycling and walking in buses and a congestion charge on the canals would do that. It may, it may, we may move to more sophisticated versions in the future, uh, but for now, 10 euro the NTA has modelled uh, on, the, on the canals would make a difference. It'd make a difference elsewhere. It reduces... Well, it's £15 pounds in, in London and yeah. it, makes, it reduces uh, the journeys by about 15 to 20%. So incentivise people by issuing them with the penalty? Well, but look, we know from things like the plastic bag tax or other, other things where you pay, where you see a very visible charge for a thing you choose to do, it, it, it makes you think. It stops, it stops and think, and do I have to make this journey? Is there an alternative way to do it? Uh, so it's not a silver bullet. We need the, the infrastructure for cycling and walking. We need more buses. But freeing up road space to, to make that possible is essential and a congestion charge would help that. Okay, in this instance, uh, Richard, we're a long time denying the need for it. Other cities have done it. And if we free up our roads, then it makes, you know, more public transport available to people and other modes of transport available to get into Dublin city centre. Yeah, look, I, I think we need to be clever on this and the eye on the prize is reducing emissions and uh, freeing up road space and being very clever about the use of our, our road space. Um, and basically we just have to look at what happened last Christmas when Liffey Valley introduced um, parking charges. Uh, Blanchetown was, was chock-a-block. So 
there's no point in just changing the direction of vehicles. Uh, I think what we need to do is use technology so that we're, we're charging for road use, like to do in Singapore. So it's, it's road use and how long you're on the road. So if you're going to a congested space, you're, yeah, you're going to pay more. But well, that it is also a congestion a, charge then. Yeah, but if, it's, if you get into it's, within it's, the canals, you're going to be longer in your no, car, aren't you? It's very inequitable because you know it's on on the the, the likes of the M50 or or other uh, major roads that you're you're paying no matter you know you're paying for the use of road space um, and not r moving in into one particular area. Um, so, so, it's, so that it's, everyone, it's fair. everyone should sort of fair. feel the pain yeah. there. Yeah, and, if you and like. it's for it's it's because you're you know you're 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 paying because you're you're using road space and you're uh, adding to emissions not only into one specific area. And I think we could also be very clever about things like deliveries, having shared deliveries to premises, having shared deliveries from premises out to people's homes so that they can use sustainable transport to uh, come into the city do some shopping, have the, the shopping delivered home so that they can then enjoy the other things that, you know, within the city. Um, and it's just about being that kind of, you know, clever about these things. But the other thing as well is that in terms of, um, in terms of uh, Dublin City Centre, uh, just over 20% of the, the people who come to Dublin City Centre as a customer will use their car. It's the mirror opposite in, in the outer town shopping centre. So uh, penalising people who are coming to the city uh, and, and leaving the others scot-free is, is clearly not an equitable thing to do. Um, okay, that's interesting. It's surprising in that statistic. Only 20% of people coming into the city centre, in any case, Oshin, use their car. So why But it's more them? in the morning. I think this yeah. is the key point. It's more in the morning. So more people coming to work or, or at the peak periods will use their car. So I think what we've been advocating for a number of years is that there will be a levy on, on free car parking within the city centre for employees, for example. Uh, they did that in Nottingham, and the, what they used the money for them was upgrading things like... Okay, so employees, tracks, employees pay if they I mean, drive into a town. Lot, a lot of uh, Richard's ideas make a lot of sense. I think, though, if we, if we wait until we have a perfect technology that covers the whole city like Singapore, we could be here a, well, a long time. Well, maybe if we wait till we have the transport network uh, in place, No, I think, I, mean, I think we both agree we need to free, we need to free up a car, car parking space. I agree, though, that we shouldn't disadvantage the city centre over, over out-of-town car parks or out-of-town shopping centres. And I think, for example, we need to move on the M50 to tolling for however much of it you use. It's really weird that if you go from Tala to Blanchardstown for work every day, you pay every day, mm. twice a day. If you go from most of South Dublin to all over Ireland using the M50, you don't pay at all. You know, Oshin, people will be saying the public transport network is already overloaded. Even if I wanted, you know, to, to get on the Lewis, I, I can't, I can't. It's really hard to get, it, you know, on at my stop in rush hour traffic and people are using existing public transport to capacity in our cities. We are. Moment. We have, however, seen a drop-off in, in cycling in the last five years. I was surprised by that in, today, in, in, in today's articles uh, about, about this issue. And if we free up road space, basically cars are, more, more, are, more, are bigger and bigger every year. There's less space for cycling. It feels less safe. If we free up some of that space across the canals, uh, you will shift people back and we will see also take up, obviously, of electric bikes and electric scooters over time. And I think that's the, way, that's the way to go. We have to get more, as many of us as possible out of our cars. Okay, how do we meet those targets? Because, you know, realistically, we do have emissions targets, but I know city centre businesses, they want to operate, they want to see foot flow. But, but we have targets to meet here. Would you concede that you're not going to do that with really easy choices? 
No, absolutely not. Um, but I think what we do, what we, whatever we do, has to be fair and equitable, and it can't be just focusing in on on the city centre. And as I say, we can look at things like um, deliveries. We can look at things like um, you know the using our car parks for as as delivery hubs as taxi hubs so that we're basically you know the the technology is there that people can share taxis if they're heading in the one direction and have you know the, the car parks at night used as okay. as marshal spaces so i think we can be really clever in this and you i don't think be. we are clever and the and the point as well uh, that Roshin is making we are not going to achieve our emissions targets if we don't invest in public transport. The metro has to happen. It would have been cheaper if we did it 20 years ago, but it'd be more expensive if we delay. And it just those kind of important pieces of infrastructure have to happen. Okay, uh, interesting when, when it comes to that discussion around congestion charges, it seems that there is a gr agreement that maybe some sort of charging system should come in. I'm not sure if our viewers watching tonight would agree with that, Neil. And for government, it's a really hard one for you to make any agreement on as well, because we had Eamon Ryan bringing this demand strategy, whatever you want to call it, essentially a congestion charge idea, to Cabinet and Leo Varadkar back in April saying, it ain't going to happen. Yeah, and I think we had the conversation at the time and... In theory, I have no problem with congestion charges. I accept that we probably will have them at some stage in does. major cities. No, what we look at very clearly is, and it comes to a lot of our, our climate action goals, is firstly, you have to keep people on side. If it's just too much stick straight from the bat, there will be a pushback. And we see that with every aspect. And secondly, we have the responsibility to continue the massive investment in alternatives. That is creating, we've seen record level of spending in cycle lanes, in new footpaths, both in the suburbs and the city centre, new buses, more EV charging, more uh, light rail. And I fundamentally do agree, we need Metro as soon as possible. And those who object to it are really disappointing themselves and our entire community. Let's put the focus on that. Let's I mean, really that's decades ramp it up. overdue. That is decades overdue. Like, how long has Fine Gael been in government and all these various transport initiatives We've just been put on the long finger? We've seen an awful lot has happened, to be fair, on transport. We saw the Lewis brought together. We've seen mm. record amounts of investment in cycle but tracks. But clearly, Neil, it is still much easier for people to... In the to last year, Claire, with maximum More convenient capacity. for people to get in their car. Not necessarily. It depends where you live. And this is where it comes back to what's equitable and what's fair. Where, we, where you and I live in our part of Dublin, it's pretty easy to get public transport into the city, be it by bus, Lewis, or we go a little bit further to the Arch. There's really good cycle lanes across the Lyra then. More needs to be done on that first before we even consider concessions charges. Okay, um, so it does seem like it is. It's a political hard sell there, Kevin. You know, we're hearing from Neil that he's not opposed to it, but we need to get all these other things in place first. Yeah, the, they'll reform the TV licence before they bring in a congestion charge. So that'll <laughs> give you the timeline of when this is going to happen. I, I think for people... It's a. You have to look at the very practical level of it, and I can only. I'm a bad person. I drive every day to work, and I know I shouldn't, but I do. And I, the Irish Why? Independent offices are on Talbot Street. I live in North Dublin, so it's not a hundred miles. I use, I took the bus for years, but now I have a small child, and the difference with me driving or taking the bus is that when I leave work in the evening, I'll get home to spend a little bit of time with her before bed. If I take the bus, she'll be in bed. That's how bad the transport system is. And I'm very close to Dublin city centre. It's not a hundred miles. Oshin's argument, if you didn't have your car on the road, you could allow more buses on the road to get you home quicker. Yeah, but this is cart and horse and chicken and egg stuff then because... Or equally, those people the, who are prepared to pay the 10 euro, there'll be fewer cars on the road. I mean, we, we, we are the congestion. Like when, when each of us says, I'm, it's easier for me in my car, we end up spending more time. Would you pay time. 10 euro? 
no. I mean, that's that for I think for anyone who's going in and out every day, how could you pay 50 euro a week mm. to, to, to do that? What is a short journey? So I accept all of Oshin's arguments, but in where we are right now, for example, where I live, if there was a metro that was promised 20 odd years ago, that would probably get me in and out mm. in jig time. So we don't have, I think the problem is you can't convince people mm. to get out of their car unless we have the other stuff there first. So saying on Monday, we're all going to stop driving into town isn't going to work. Yeah, is there an issue as well that when we look at this, you know, motoring is already a very costly activity for people in this country, the high cost of tax and insurance and fuel, and then you have a congestion charge and you're looking at maybe 10 euro, it's 15 sterling in, in some parts of London. It'll spark a lot of road rage in itself, Alison. Yeah, and I guess, but there are also a lot of people driving around in beasts of vehicles that are very that thirsty. Well that, are very, that are very thirsty. I guess they must be, you know, they must be able to. Well, maybe, and, you know, they can well afford to pay a congestion charge. But yeah, but they, even if it's an electric vehicle, it's still taking up mm -hmm. that space on the canal, you know. Uh, I think, I mean, I have great sympathy with what, what Kevin just said, but there are also others of us out there, and I include myself here, who need a kick up the arse to get out of the car. But I am... Um, so is that uh, don't the way to do it? Yeah, well, I don't cycle as much as I should because I'm nervous of it. And if there mm -hmm. was better, um, if that was better patrolled, for want of a better word, um, I would certainly do, I would do more of it. So it is but, a I mean, case of I'm not cycle sure... Lanes. I, yeah. We're building an awful lot of cycle lanes. Like, yeah. you, you could say there's a lot I mean, of investment all, in that, like, but... Yeah, but isn't there also the thing like mm -hmm. that, like, the planet's on fire. Do you know what I mean? And um, we're all sort of arguing over um, the, the small things, even, mm. even stuff it's like that there's no kind of realisation of, that, that, of what we need to do. Kevin mentioned his daughter there. I'm thinking of my kids, not just the next generation, our generation. And the Greens, the problem at the moment is the Greens are very weak politically. They're doing very poor in opinion polls. And there's already rows within the government. Before the summer, there was a row. It's now picked up again. We heard that there was a meeting with some Fine Gaelers and, and Eamon Ryan about what's being spent on roads. So my concern as a citizen of the country and of the globe is actually where, where, where green parties, even in various countries, and, and in okay. particular the, here, in the, terms of bringing the, the agenda forward. The truth is we, we are not going to make this transition now without some disruption and inconvenience. Like we left it too late. You talked about the metro. We should have done the whole thing 20 years ago. The amount of emissions reductions per year would have been a lot, a lot mm. smoother. It's going to be bumpy now, I mean, and, and climate breakdown is very bumpy if you look around the world. But So we have to make the transition fast and as fairly as possible. But there's no, pretend, no pretending it'll be, it'll be smooth sailing. And we need our politicians to stand up and say that to us, like they did during COVID, and say, this is going to be rocky, but we have to do it together and we'll get through it. Because otherwise we'll have a lot of these fights and they get very toxic on social media and they get potentially toxic in real life. But, oh. there's, but there's no point in encouraging out-of-town development or dispersed development so that it costs you more to be in the city than it, it would be to have your office or your, your business in a more dispersed and more car-dependent location. So, you know, we need to be clever about what we do. All right, there we will leave that. My thanks to Richard and to Oshin for joining us there. The rest of my panel are staying on with me as we take a look at Kim Jong-un's meeting with Russia's President Putin and US President Joe Biden could face an impeachment inquiry and an update also on the alleged rape of an Irish rugby fan in Bordeaux. Do stay with us.
Welcome back. French police have launched an investigation after a 37-year-old Irish woman attending the Rugby World Cup was allegedly abducted and raped by three men in Bordeaux. Earlier, I caught up with Paris correspondent Stuart Smith and I started by asking him if locals and rugby fans feel that their safety has been compromised. Yeah, World Cup, where a lot of scrutiny is not just on how this reflects the rugby, but also ahead of the Olympics next year, security and policing being seen as a test of what the issues may be in the Olympics in 2024. Now, in terms of the police response, there's been no indication that they've changed the way they are conducting policing, at least not publicly. But it's hard not to imagine that such a well-publicised story, both in the French press and also in the sports press here, will not have an impact on how people, including fans, feel when walking in the streets after these rugby games late at night. And nothing yet from the police to suggest that there is any additional extra security being put on or that people should in any way change their behaviour. Um, as regards the investigation into this attack, Stuart, the Bordeaux prosecutor has released a statement. Can you give us an update on that? Yeah, that's right. So, so far, no arrests have been announced. The police are still searching for the three men, described by that Bordeaux prosecutor as three Caucasian males, one of them with, quote, a very athletic build. Uh, police say uh, that the investigation has been opened and will continue until they have been found. But as far as we publicly know, there are no leads that are being pursued, no requests for assistance or any more information from the police. They say they are pursuing a few few lines of inquiry relating to reports given by people that were present shortly after the alleged rape took place. Also, they are checking video cameras and CCTV in the area and they are testing DNA uh, found on the clothing of the victim to try to make headway on this. OK, Stuart Smith uh, joining us from Paris tonight. Thank you for that update. Now, my panel have stayed with me and I'm also joined on Skype by Professor of Politics at DCU, Donico Bacon, because we want to discuss uh, some of the major international stories in today's news and what emerged today about Speaker of the House, uh, uh, Kevin McCarthy in the US House of Representatives, announcing an impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden. Uh, can you take us through what it's all about? Something to do with business dealings and uh, Joe Biden's son, Hunter. Yeah, this has been a long, you know, time in the pipeline. I mean, the accusations against Hunter Biden and by implication Joe Biden go back several years. And indeed, they were the basis of Donald Trump's attempts to um, besmirch Joe Biden's presidential prospects when it, he realized that Joe Biden was likely to be his main opponent in the 2020 election campaign. And it, it, essentially the main charge put forward is that Joe Biden used his position as vice president uh, to help uh, Hunter Biden's business interests and that he in turn then, or the Biden family by extension, somehow enriched themselves. But no hard evidence has been produced. I mean, they've been looking into this for several years. Uh, indeed, Donald Trump uh, tried to put pressure on Vladimir Zelensky, because Hunter Biden's interests uh, were in Ukraine, and not only, to try and dig up some dirt uh, on that. And that, of course, put Vladimir Zelensky, who had just been elected president of Ukraine, in a very difficult position. He was facing pressure from the Russian mm -hmm. president, uh, Vladimir Putin, and also Donald Trump, who said that, uh, you know, US aid to Ukraine would be conditional on getting something on Hunter Biden. OK, so what are the next steps here and how realistic that it could come to some sort of formal um, impeachment inquiry because it, it, there are a couple of steps required to get it to that point. We know what's happening with Donald Trump. What's likely to happen now with 
a sitting president of the United States? Well, what Kevin McCarthy has spoken of today, it's not an impeachment proceedings. These are This is an impeachment inquiry that will be overseen by the House committee. Interestingly, he didn't put it to a formal vote in the House of Representatives, despite promising that earlier. That was seen as, as a sign of weakness. The Republicans have a majority in the House of Representatives. Um, they have 222 representatives. They need a majority of 218. But it was seen as... A, as, as emblematic of the fact that he doesn't have the support of the House, even just to have an inquiry. Uh, many prominent Republicans have spoken out against this, and it's seen as politically opportunistic, that it's it's pandering to the Trump wing of the Republican Party, who want to see a drip feed of negative stories about Joe Biden during this forthcoming election year. But it has no hope, really, of meeting the, the legal and constitutional test that would make uh, impeachment and, indeed, the removal of Joe Biden uh, likely. OK, let's move on to what we are seeing uh, on the other side of the world, and that's Kim Jong-un uh, coming to meet Vladimir Putin. Uh, two powerful leaders gathering uh, in, in the same room. What sort of, what do they want from each other here? An exchange of weapons and other promises? Well, this is very much a, a marriage of convenience or even a shotgun wedding, uh, if you will. Uh, both has something that the other needs. Uh, the, the Russians need ammunition and, and North Korea needs just about everything. They can't feed their population, a, a large amount of their population uh, starve. And so they, the Russians will simply look for some kind of ammunition supply from North Korea. That's, we won't, by the way, learn the details of the deal. These are two dictators meeting privately. But what it's suspected is that they will uh, reach out for some ammunition from North Korea, though that quality might be very low grade, and that North Korea would get uh, grain, uh, would get hard currency. But more worryingly, they may also uh, seek to get uh, high-level technology that could help them with their, their nuclear program, though that's considered to be uh, less likely. Is it likely to have any real implications regarding the conflict? Um, between Ukraine and Russia? I mean, when you talk about North Korea's military arsenal, what do we know about it and will it realistically be used by the Russians? It's, it's of relatively poor quality and, and therefore it's unlikely to be a game changer. But it does, I guess, um, signify the, the isolation of Vladimir Putin. You must remember that during uh, the last month, he, he did not go to South Africa uh, to, for the BRIC summit. And the BRIC you know, movement is very much part of you know, Vladimir Putin's uh, efforts to counteract uh, Western interests. He didn't go simply because there's a warrant for his arrest that's been put out by the International Criminal Court. Similarly, he didn't go to India for the G20 summit uh, just last week. But he's traveled 9,000 kilometers to meet what is really a tin pot dictator uh, from North Korea. Um, you know, really with, the, it seems, a, a shopping list of things he'd like from him. So it does underline Russia's isolation at this moment. And certainly Kim Jong-un will understand this and will try and get as good a deal as he can. He also, of course, understands what it's like to be isolated. His main patron is China, so uh, traditionally. So he, he, he'll like, of course, to see if he can play off one uh, neighbor, dictatorship neighbor, against the other in terms of getting what he wants. OK, let's bring our panel back in here on this. Um, Neil, your thoughts on it? I mean, are Western, Western countries really concerned about this meeting um, in any real way or is it just being seen as um, something symbolic uh, to be seen to bolster, I suppose, the reputation of both men? Well, it's a truly desperate act by Putin. He's prepared to go to North Korea, the most isolated country in the world, that he voted to sanction a number of years ago just to get maggoty stockpile ammunition. But it's dangerous. 
If he's supplying enriched uranium or technology to the North Koreans for their nuclear program, that's a massive danger in a very volatile part of the world. So the Western world is concerned and absolutely it shows the importance of continuing and indeed increasing the support from Europe, the US and unlike-minded countries for Ukraine. Of course, um, you know, Donico's saying it, it, what it highlights is, you know, Putin's isolation here. But also he does have, I suppose, friends in high places or people at least with, who like firing rockets and do have some military arsenal that they're willing to hand over to him. Yeah, well, your enemy is my enemy and therefore we come together. It's that kind of a strange scenario. I mean, Kim Jong-un is unpredictable. Putin is unpredictable. And that's probably what is worrying about two of the world's best dictators coming together, no matter what they actually get out of it. At the other side, the very fact that they're trying to do this, but it's kind of soap opera, let's be honest as well, the taking the train up, yeah. the Chinese in the background. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not good. We're out of time, I'm afraid. Uh, there's all important images there, though, for, for Vladimir Putin of the meeting of the two men. Um, that's it from us. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. Um, that's tonight, BMTV. But from everyone here, good night and do take care.